I'm going to give you the last line in my sermon now. That doesn't mean you can go to sleep though. As we go through this passage this morning, God has a last move. We need to believe it and live in the light of it. God knows what he's doing. And so let's look at this passage this morning. And I've already read Second Peter chapter 3 because it adds colour to what we're going to speak about this morning. But I want to read from Luke chapter 21 this morning and verses 20 to 28 is the passage we'll be looking at. But I want to read from verse 9, um, the passage we looked at last week because it all ties in. So Luke chapter 21, reading from verse, I said 9, verse 5. While some were speaking of the temple, how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings, Jesus said, As for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And they asked him, Teacher, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? And Jesus said, See that you are not led astray, For many will come in my name saying, I am he, and the time is at hand. Do not go after them. And when you hear of wars and tumults, do not be terrified, for these things must first take place, but the end will not be at once. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and in various places famines and pestilences. And there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons. And you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it therefore in your minds, not to meditate beforehand how to answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of you they will put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake. But not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance you will gain your lives. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains and let those who are inside the city depart and let not those who are out in the country enter it for these are days of vengeance or judgment to fulfill all that is written. Alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days for there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against this people. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And there will be signs in sun and moon and stars and on the earth distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken and then 
they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now, when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. We need to be reminded of these words constantly because we look around us in the world and we see chaos many times. We see people fighting people. And the gospel message as it comes through this morning is the one that makes sense of all this. Where is God in all this? He's going to tell us as we look at this passage. Remember last week we spoke about two earthquakes happening. The one happening before the other one. The, the first one being, even though it's bad, being a sign of something far greater which is to come. Well this morning we're going to look at the specifics of that. Jesus is going to look at the fall of Jerusalem and he's going to describe it to his disciples. But he's going to say that it is pointing forward to something which is far greater, which is yet to come, and which we here are also still waiting for, and that is the return of Jesus Christ. It's pointing to that day. So let's look at this passage, verses 20 to 24 first, and the fall of Jerusalem. What happened in those historic times. I don't want this to become a history lesson, and if you know anything about me, I don't, I don't care too much about history. So this can't be too much of a great history lesson. But we're going to look at what the Bible describes here, and what Jesus was describing to his disciples, because this hadn't happened to them yet. He was describing, he was prophesying in great detail what would soon happen to him, to them. In fact, 38 years later, after he said these words to his disciples, these things happened. Let's look at it. What happened at this destruction of Jerusalem? Verse 20. When you see Jerusalem surrounded by enemies, then know that its desolation has come near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let those who are inside the city depart, and let not those who are out in the country enter it. For these are days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. And then he describes the downfall and the people being put to the sword. And in the end, Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles, the Romans of that day, until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Now be really careful because these first verses have been misinterpreted by many. They still apply them to today. They still speak about the armies surrounding Jerusalem. What Jesus was describing was a very specific event. Jerusalem was going to be surrounded by Roman armies back in, and it happened in AD 70, quite a few years before now. It was a very specific description. It is not to be applied for right now. That's the first thing I need to say. The second thing is that this event was predicted way back in Scripture by Daniel, by various other prophets, Isaiah, by Jesus many, many times in his ministry. He spoke about the destruction of the temple and Jerusalem. They spoke about this phrase, you would have heard it before, the abomination of desolation. Well, that was describing the fall of the temple specifically, that center of religion for the Jewish nation. 
during this time in the build-up to the fall of Jerusalem, it was the time of the Passover. And there were many, many people in Jerusalem at that time. They'd come from all nations gathered in this place, Jerusalem, to come to the temple to worship the Lord. But at the same time, politically, there was rebellion happening. The zealots were at work. They were anti the establishment. They didn't want the Romans ruling over them. And so there was an active zealot presence. They were trying to stir up the people against the Romans. The Romans were very well aware of it. But when we come to the year 70 AD, when this all comes to a head, the rebellion is at its peak. There is obvious rebellion in the streets. It's in the faces of the people. It's in the words of the people. It's in the actions. And the Romans are aware of it. And I've given you a little bit of a handout because we can only cover so much on a Sunday morning. So there's some background. Don't read it now, by the way. You can read it later this afternoon. It's not bedtime reading, though. But go and have a look at the background to this build-up of the fall of Jerusalem. But there were signs that Jesus wanted them to be aware of. There were signs of the impending siege. A siege never just happened overnight. There would be signs of it happening. The army had to build up. They had to put stocks in place, uh, the stocks of food. They had to build ramparts up to city walls. These things took time. So it took years. And Jesus is saying to the disciples, when you see these signs taking place, know Jerusalem is going to fall. I'm God. I'm speaking to you as Jesus, the Messiah. Take note of these signs, my disciples. Jesus was warning them. You see, even here, in the midst of coming destruction, we see the mercy of God at work. There is going to be destruction coming down on the city. There is going to be great loss of life. But you, my disciples, the ones I love, take note of these signs. Because if you listen, there will be mercy at work. You can get out. You can save your lives. And that's why he includes those verses. Those in Judea, flee to the mountains. When you see these things happening, when the Romans start building those ramparts up against the walls of Jerusalem, those in Judea, Flee to the mountains. Don't come to Jerusalem. This is a prophetic word, by the way. It hadn't happened yet. Those of you in the city, when you see these things happening, get out of Jerusalem. Those outside of the city, stay out of Jerusalem. Don't come in. Very interesting that another historian, Eusebius, records that because many believers listen to the words of Jesus... Many of their lives were saved and he records that many of the believers, when they saw the siege about to take place, they fled the city of Jerusalem, they went across the river Jordan and they went to the city of Pella, which is in the neighboring region of Perea. And so many believers were saved because they listened to what Jesus had prophesied. Interesting. And then we got to the siege itself. All the preparations had been done and then on a very specific day and Romans kept very meticulous records, in April of AD 70 it's recorded, the siege itself began. The doors of the gates of Jerusalem were shut. No one was allowed in or out anymore, whether they were Jew or Gentile. The siege had started. And the way the Romans did sieges, the word sieges, they would close the city up and they would just starve the people inside until they surrendered. No water, no food. 
Now, in Jerusalem, they had lots of water available because they got it through underground tunnels. But, what do you do with food? And so the siege itself started under Vespasian's son, Titus, and the Roman army encamped around the city. And as the siege got worse and worse, conditions in Jerusalem, it's recorded for us um, by historians, got worse and worse. People started growing thinner, no food to eat. And it's recorded that at a stage in Jerusalem, at the peak of the siege, not a living plant was to be seen. Because everything had been eaten. Not a living animal was to be seen in Jerusalem. Because they'd all been eaten. And in the end it got so bad that children were eaten. It's recorded for us. The Romans were cruel. This couldn't carry on continually, could it? There comes a stage when it has to give in. And what Jesus was speaking about here was what would happen when all this came about. In the end, the fall of Jerusalem took place on a very specific day, September the 8th, AD 70, it's recorded for us by the Romans. The walls of Jerusalem were broken through. The Romans came over the tops. Those gates were broken through and the Romans came in and they started killing everyone who was still alive, not discriminating who, who they were killing. They were killing old, young, children, boys, girls, males, females, pregnant women were slashed open. 38 years after Jesus had spoken these very words. So his prophecy came true to the minutest detail. There's a reason I'm pointing these things out to you this morning. And finally, the Romans reached the centre of Jewish tradition and the centre of Jewish worship, the temple itself. And Josephus, another one of the historians, accounts for us what happened. And I want to just quote for you some of what he said. This was the actual destruction of the temple, the centre of Jewish worship. I'm going to quote, it's fairly extensive, but listen to it. This is the moment. The rebels shortly after attacked the Romans again, and a clash followed between the guards of the sanctuary and the troops who were putting out the fire inside the inner court. The latter routed the Jews and followed in hot pursuit right up to the temple itself. Then one of the soldiers, without awaiting any orders and with no dread of so momentous a deed, but urged on by some seemingly supernatural force, snatched a blazing piece of wood and climbing up on another soldier's back, he hurled the flaming brand through a low golden window that gave access to the temple on the north side, to the rooms that surrounded the sanctuary. As the flames shot up, the Jews let out a shout of dismay that matched the whole tragedy. They flocked to the rescue with no thought of sparing their lives or husbanding their strength for the sacred structure that they had constantly guarded with such devotion was vanishing before their very eyes. No exhortation or threats could now restrain the impetuosity of the legions for passion was in supreme command. Crowded together around the entrances, many were trampled down by their companions. Others stumbling on the smouldering and smoke-filled ruins of the porticoes, died as miserably as the defeated. As they drew closer to the temple, 
They pretended not even to hear Caesar's orders, but urged the men in front to throw in more firebrands, because Caesar had told his soldiers, don't touch the temple. But passion overcame these soldiers. The rebels were powerless to help. Carnage and flight spread throughout. Most of the slain now, lying around the temple, were peaceful citizens, weak and unarmed, and they were butchered where they were caught. The heap of corpses mounted higher and higher about the altar. A stream of blood flowed down the temple steps, and the bodies of those slain at the top slipped to the bottom. While the temple was ablaze, the attackers plundered it, and countless people who were caught by them were slaughtered. There was no pity for age, no regard was accorded rank. Children and old men, laymen and priests alike, were butchered. Every class was pursued and crushed in the grip of war, whether they cried out for mercy or offered resistance. It's terrible. Jesus had warned them of the judgment coming down on Jerusalem. And when Jesus warned of judgment, it was real judgment he was speaking about. There was nothing soft about this. And he gives a bit of perspective around this in verse 22. He says, It was the judgment of the Lord on Israel's disobedience. Real judgment. Through his ministry, Jesus had been warning the people. The Messiah is in your midst. You need to believe. You need to come to the Lord while there is still time. He had warned them over and over. And now it had come to that time of judgment. He had warned it. It was now there. And and the records record that over a million people were killed during the siege and during the fall of Jerusalem. And thousands, especially of young men, were taken away into captivity. All the words that Daniel had spoken had come true regarding the fall of Jerusalem. Now, as terrible as that is, what is the truth we get out of that this morning? There must be something there for us. Well, the truth is this. That God is the God of love to those who obey Him. But, He is at the same time a consuming fire, says Hebrews 12.29, to those who consistently reject His love. God will continually show His love. He will pour out His love. He will make His love available to human beings. But there comes a time when the God of love is also the one who is the judge. This is God's word to us. We must take heed of it, people. He is the God of love, but the judge of all the earth. Take note. And then we read this verse in verse 24, the times of the Gentiles. Let's look at that verse. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all the nations, and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Now, when we speak about this phrase, the time of the Gentiles, there's a political sense we speak about, the times of the Gentiles, and there's a spiritual sense. I'm going to first look at the political sense. What is the times of the Gentiles? Well, after AD 70, history tells us that Hadrian, that Hadrian was the one in charge, and he started refortifying the walls of Jerusalem. He started building them up again. Now, he was a Roman, remember? And so he started building up Jerusalem, but he started building it up as a Gentile city, no longer a Jewish one. 
It was under Roman control. Jews were not allowed back into the city. There were guards posted at the gates to check. Jews were not allowed back in. And those who remained in the city were severely suppressed. Much persecution happened to those who remained alive. Those who were there had to help with the rebuilding. And the name of the city was changed. I don't know if you knew this, but the name of Jerusalem was changed to Colonia Aelia Capitoloni. Capitolina, my um, Italian is not so good. Capitolina. Colonia Aelia Capitolina. And it was named in honor of Aelius Hadrian himself, the governor, and a god of theirs, Jupiter Capitolinus. So the name of the city was changed to a heathen name, a Gentile name. And the name of that city remained that for many, many years. A temple was built to this god, and it was built on Mount Moriah. Interesting. Too much to go into now. And later, it was Constantine. Now we're talking hundreds of years later, Constantine removed this ban on Jews entering the holy city. So for hundreds of years, they weren't allowed back. You see, the judgment of God, which is severe. And history records that in AD 614, that's 600 years, the Persians recaptured the city and again massacred the inhabitants of that city. Man has seen violence. And the city remained in Muslim hands until the time of the Crusaders. And that's when it changed back to Jerusalem. So that's the political sense of the times of the Gentiles. Now I'll come back to it because we're not finished with the political sense. But there's a spiritual sense here which Paul um, gives us more information on in Romans. And if you go and read the book of Romans, it's a fascinating book. And it speaks about how the Gentiles will, will be given a time of coming to the Lord with a very specific reason so that the Jewish people themselves will get jealous of the grace shown to the Gentiles. And because of their jealousy, they will come to God themselves. You see, the Jewish nation, as an entity, had a time when they were God's favoured people, and God used them as a light to the nations. But what did they do? They wasted that opportunity. And we know the history of Israel was up and down, up and down spiritually, like we are ourselves. And then there came this time when God brought judgment on them as a nation. It was the first wave of what was to come. And God said to them, Now my grace to you is going to the Gentiles. And I will show grace to the Gentiles, but very specifically so that you, my people, will come back to me. You will see me showing grace to others. And it will force you to come back to me. And so Paul speaks in Romans 11 about God making Israel jealous when they see God's mercy shown to the Gentiles. He wants them to acknowledge Him as Lord again. And the nation of Israel may have gained political independence on the 14th of May, 1948. But according to Scripture, the times of the Gentiles will continue until just before the Lord comes again, when we will see a mighty revival 
taking place among the Jewish nation when many of them will come back to the Lord again and that will be a good shake to the Lord to say, Jesus Christ is nearly here. You see, we need to pray for that nation. We need to pray that they will see Jesus Christ as Lord. But in the meantime, we need to pray for each other. We need to pray for everyone around us who still does not know the Lord because they are in a time of God's mercy. When God shows His mercy to Israel again and they come to Him in a mighty revival, there's going to be less mercy around for the rest of the world because the Son of Man is about to appear. Do you see the urgency? They work together beautifully in this picture of what God is doing. And so we need to pray for those who have as yet not believed. We need to pray for the Jewish nation who had a Messiah amongst them but did not recognize Him. We must pray that they will recognize Jesus Christ as the true Son of God again. We must pray. Alright, so that was the fall of Jerusalem. Now we're back to Jesus on the Mount of Olives speaking to His disciples. Are you with me? And he's saying to them, the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple is a big disaster. But it's not the end of the story. It's only a warning of a far greater event coming. And from this moment, when we look at this next passage, we are looking at events that are still to happen. Things that are still to come. The the coming of the Son of Man. So what does he speak about? Verse 25. He says, there will be signs in sun and moon and stars and on the earth, distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the Lord, but the powers of the heavens will be shaken and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. So what can we learn here about preparing ourselves for the coming of the Son of Man? There are a few things we can see here. The first thing is that just before the Son of Man comes, in the period leading up to that, there will be great deception and there will be great tribulation for the church. Revelation, throughout Revelation, speaks about this to us. Revelation chapter 11, verse 9 to 11. And there are so many passages, I can't refer to all of them, but I've Put them up so that we can start having a look at those in your own time. Revelation 11, verse 9 to 11, in those prophecies, speaks about this great tribulation which will come on the church before Christ returns. Life will get hard and more difficult for believers. They will be persecuted for their faith. And it's going to be real pain. It's going to be real tears. It's going to be real death. It's not just going to be words on a page anymore. And then, verses 25 to 26, our world as we know it will be turned upside down as we get closer to the time. We're going to experience massive big earthquakes. The Bible describes it. There's going to be famine all over the world in many parts. And if you turn on your news, you can see it already happening in many places. The sun, the moon, the stars will be affected. Now, How much of this is literal? How much of this is figurative? I don't know. But God has said it's going to happen. And there comes a time when these things will happen. How it's going to pan out, I don't know. 
But we also know that God has reserved this earth for fire. And that he's going to recreate the heavens and the earth. Now recreate means it's going to be burned up and then recreated. Now how that's going to affect the rest of the elements and the stars, and I don't know. God has said it's going to be affected. He's the creator who put them over there. He can obviously work with them in such a way that it'll happen. I'm just a little human being with a small little processor. God will make this happen. He said he will. If he's made all these other things happen in the minute detail, who are we to say, but hang on, God, how are you going to work there? Tell us. Scientifically? Come on. How can the stars fall out of alignment? God knows. We need to believe he said so. Revelation 21 verse 1 says this. This is the Apostle John speaking. And he's speaking of the future which we are still waiting for, by the way. He says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I don't know how that works, but he said it's going to be like that. And then another thing this passage speaks about, and this is Jesus himself speaking, the one who's going to come, the one who knows all things. He says that just before he comes, the sign of the Son of Man will appear. If you look at the parallel passage to the one we're looking at today in Matthew, Matthew chapter 24, and in Mark chapter 13, Matthew chapter 24 speaks about this. A sign of the Son of Man will appear. We're not told anything more what that is, but it will be there. We'll recognize it as such. And then, Matthew carries on describing, there'll be widespread mourning, there'll be a crying with fear from people all over the world. And then, Matthew says, Jesus Christ will suddenly return like lightning which flashes across the sky. It's going to be sudden. You will not be able to prepare for that moment when Jesus reappears. You need to be ready before He appears. Because when He appears, it's too late to change. And then, events after that, Verses 27 says of Matthew, All eyes will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds with power and great glory. Jesus quotes from Daniel chapter 7. All eyes will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds. Every single eye will see Him. Believers and unbelievers. And, says Matthew chapter 24, there will be a great ingathering of the elect. The angels are going to go out with a loud trumpet call and he will gather the elect from the four winds, in biblical terms, that is from everywhere on earth, those who have come before, those who are alive, and those who are dead, they will all be gathered in on that great day when Jesus appears. Now, if you're not a believer, if you've never heard this stuff, you probably think I've lost my mind, right? But all I'm doing is, I'm stating what God has given us in his word, much of which has come true already. There's just a little bit still to come. And if this has all happened, why shouldn't the rest? When, those, when the loud trumpet call is heard and the angels go out and they gather the elect from all four winds, you will be there, I pray. And if you're not, there is still time. 
Come to Jesus Christ. The word here is to us as believers. Jesus says to his disciples, when these things begin to take place, I love this, straighten up. Lift up your heads. What's the implication there? Straighten up. You'll be bent over. From what? Not from old age. From the cares and the worries and the pain possibly of being persecuted for the name of Jesus Christ. Straighten up. Lift up your heads. You see what happens when we get persecuted? When we get, and you know as believers, if you've been through a hard patch in life, we start not seeing things around us. We start looking at our troubles and what's happening. And after a while, your head is bent. Your neck is bent, rather. Jesus says, lift up your heads. Your redemption is drawing near. I'll go straight into our so what. What does this all mean to us? It's glorious stuff. This. The first one is this. Are you ready for his return? Now, simple. Yes or no? As you sit here in your seats this morning, are you ready for Jesus to appear? It's yes or no. There's no maybe or later. It's now you are prepared or not. Revelation says that on that day, every eye will see him. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Every knee will bow. To the glory of God the Father. Every eye will see Him, including your eye. If you're a believer or not, you will see Jesus Christ. Every knee will bow. If you're a believer or not, every knee will bow. Yours too. And even though you don't want to, want to you will still bow the knee because you will recognize that this one is indeed God. Scripture tells us that's your reaction. And every tongue will confess that He is Lord. Whether you want to or not, you will say on that day, He is Lord. I didn't believe that He is Lord. You will be there. If you're a believer, your response will be exaltation. It will be the greatest day of your life. If you're an unbeliever, if you're not saved by Christ, when that moment happens, you will be filled with unbelievable terror because you will realize, I can't do anything about this anymore. Now I stand before a judge. And so my plea with you is this morning, if you're not a believer yet, if you, Jesus Christ is not the one who is in charge of your life, if you have not bowed the knee to Him, I plead with you, come to Him while there is still time. I'm only a messenger. Listen to the message. There is still time. He hasn't reappeared. Give him control of the rest of your life. It doesn't matter what's happened in the past. It doesn't matter up to now that you've rejected him. From today, give Jesus Christ control of your life. Call him Lord. May he be Lord in your life. And then you will be among those who will rejoice to see Him again. But you need to come. Jesus has said He will return. He keeps His promises, whether we believe them or not. It's not up to us, you see. 
And his delay in coming, says Second Peter, is, that we read earlier, his delay in coming is only an opportunity for the lost to still come. He's showing his mercy. Come to him while you can. So are you ready? Second thing we can learn from this passage, and here on I speak to believers, because we need a bit of bolstering up sometimes, don't we? Believers, I want to ask you this morning, if you believe in the name of Jesus Christ, if He is living inside of you, I want to ask you, are you bent over by life? Is your head drooping on your shoulders? God's Word says to you this morning, straighten up. Lift up your head. Your redemption is drawing near. Every day that passes is another day closer to the return of Jesus Christ. Your redemption is coming closer day by day. Hebrews says to you, Hebrews 12 verse 2, Look to Him, the author and the finisher of your faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despised the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider Him who endured such hostility for sinners against Himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You see, Christ has done the hard work for you. He died in your place. You didn't have to die for your sin. He's gone to the Father. He is at the right hand of the Father. He is the one who will return. All you need to do is give yourself to Him over and over again every single day and live in hope of His return. Don't get bent over by this world and everything that might pile on you. Don't get bent over by bad news coming your way and news about cancer and sickness and things that might come your way. Don't let your head droop. Your salvation is drawing near. Christ will soon reappear to take you home to be with Him forever. There's our hope. Lift your heads. Straighten your shoulders. Your redemption is near. Christ has accomplished your redemption on the cross. You've experienced that redemption in your soul. The moment you were born again, you knew He saved me. And that redemption is becoming an everlasting reality when your new body will find itself with you inside it, standing physically before Jesus Christ. Your faith will become sight. Straighten up your shoulders. Lift your drooping head. The redemption of Jesus is near. And with the words of Hanley, remember, God has the last move. Even in your life, with whatever's happening, He has the last move. And then lastly, and now we're looking right into the future. This is beautiful stuff. Third one, Christian, are you ready for life in the new Jerusalem? I want to give you a little glimpse of what the journey lies that lies ahead. Revelation chapter 21. You can turn with me if you like. This is good. It's like taking tonic. Revolu- uh, revolution. Revelation chapter 21. Verses 22 to 27. Take hope in these words. Just get a glimpse ahead and look forward to this day. And I saw no temple in the city. For its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. 
By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, for only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life will enter there. Is your name in that Lamb's book this morning? Now, while we look forward to that day, we can do something every day, right? What can we do? We looked at that earlier, Second Peter chapter 3, and I close with these verses. I want us to look at this together as I put it up here for you. Read this together with me, and I mean really read it with me, alright? But we are looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth. He has promised a world filled with God's righteousness. And so, dear friends, while you are waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in His sight. And remember, our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. Amazing, isn't it? So, we're looking forward to what God is going to do for us, but... While you're waiting, says the Apostle Peter, while you're waiting for these things to happen, so that's us now, make every effort to be found living that peaceful life. It's peace-filled lives. Lives that are pure. Lives that are blameless in His sight. How do we live lives that are pure and blameless in His sight? He's told us how, but He's also given us the means, right? We come to Him, we ask Him forgiveness because we know we can't do this perfectly. Ask Him for His mercy every single day. And remember, our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. We need to be taking the gospel message out to those who are not yet saved. There is still time. We've still got work to do. Live holy lives before the Lord. Take out the gospel message. That's what Jesus said to us. And in the end, leave the things to God that He will do. His Son will come in His time. And all those stars and planets you keep worrying about, don't worry. He will do it His way. He is in control. He will have the last move. I hope you're encouraged. And if you're not a believer... I pray that today you will make peace with Jesus Christ, the one who wants to draw you to himself. Let's pray. Lord, our Heavenly Father, we thank you in many ways for passages like this because it gives us hope. All those things you prophesied about came true down to the last detail. And Lord, we know that there are still those promises that you've made we look forward to them coming true too. Lord, some of them we wonder about because they're too big for us to think through and process. But Lord, we know that you are almighty God. That to you nothing is impossible. You created the world out of nothing. Surely you can reorder things just as you want for your purposes and for your glory. And you've described these events, Lord, even though we can't understand all of them, may we just believe you and take you at your word and see the great God who is behind all these things. Lord, in the meantime, keep us faithful to you. 
Keep us with our eyes on Jesus Christ. When we grow weary, when our spirits flag and we grow weak, Lord, may we remember words like this. As your Spirit helps us, may you help us to lift our shoulders, to lift our drooping heads and to look to Jesus Christ, the source of our redemption. And Lord, as we lift our weary heads and as we live lives which are reinvigorated before you, may the world see this new energy and may it point to Jesus Christ. May they wonder, where do we get the strength from? And may they ask the questions which lead them to Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray for any that are here today, and there will be, that do not yet know Jesus Christ as their Lord. Lord, your warnings have gone out again and again. May today be the day when they hear that warning and find mercy in Jesus Christ and bow the knee to you, our great God.